Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Perfect Love Podcast. I'm super excited about this one today, or should I say tonight? Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm Austin. I go by he, him pronouns, and we got our lovely co-host, Sarah. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah. I use she, her pronouns. And tonight, our guest is someone who some of you may know, um, but maybe haven't seen in a while, the wonderful, incredible, amazing Troy Aragon Buchanan. Thanks for having me, friends. I'm really, really glad to be here, and I'm glad to be with, with Austin and Sarah, two of my, my best friends, and my pronouns are he, him, his. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to dive into this topic of inclusive worship with you. Uh, it's just, I mean, a lot of worship spaces that we've been involved in together that we could just talk about forever, but uh, just seeing where you are now, uh, doing worship leading and killing it, especially in this time of COVID and managing online stuff. It's been great to just see you really leaning into that uh, position and role. Thank you. That's really, that's really kind. It's a weird, uh, it's a weird season just in general, but Mm -hmm. trying to, trying to make the best of it. And uh, yeah. I think we're all feeling the weird seasonness of it. So, Mm-hmm. I guess, speaking of how we're all feeling, I'm projecting. That's not kind. I should ask, how, how are all of you? How is everyone? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really cozy right now. I got my uh, sweater on from Treasure Island that I got a while ago, and it's really fuzzy. I got some turmeric <laughs> ginger uh, oat milk concoction right now, so that's really nice, but... Ending the, the weekend really nice, which I have this semester, this go around in the fall, weekends and stuff. So um, pretty good, I'd say. Nice. That's awesome. I'm, a, I'm both good and okay, you know? Um, I'm on, on, the, on the good side of okay. Um, today was, was nice in particular because I got to have a coffee date with my wife, Karina, and we got ramen for dinner tonight, which is like comfort food. Uh, and it's nice and breezy outside. So I really can't ask for, for more. <laughs> That's great. That sounds like such a wonderful fall evening. I'm kind of jealous. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. I, I need the temperature to drop like 10 more degrees, but we're like, we're, we're, we're yes. heading that way. Finally, it's starting to not be oh. as humid outside. Like we're, we're, we're almost there. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, how are you? <laughs> hey. I always think you're going to forget, and then you never do. Uh-uh. Um, I'm fine. Um, it's been a busy couple days. I'm currently in the process of resetting my sleep schedule, mm, which is nice. a whole adventure, um, because staying up until 8 a.m. is not good for people. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'm doing okay. I, I'm feeling really good about some work I'm doing, and, yeah, you know. I'm okay. Awesome. Um, well, with that, I just want to dive into just a little bit about yourself, Troy, if you'd like to share just a little. Um, if that's updates, sorry, the uh, door behind me just magically opened a little bit in this oh, you love that. creepy <laughs> church. When you're in an empty church, that's a great thing to experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just a uh, like a little bit about yourself, maybe as it relates to worship or just like an update for some of us and where you're at right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little from the beginning and then, and then do 
update stuff. Um, yep. So I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was on staff with CCW for six years. Um, actually, I grew up here in Atlanta and then moved around a little bit. Uh, landed in Florida with my family. Um, was My dad's a musician, and so we spent a lot of time on the road growing up. Um, he specifically, when I was young, he was doing sort of the CCM, uh, contemporary Christian music world. So we spent a lot of time in Nashville um, and, and doing all that fun stuff. And then we landed in Florida because he took a job at a church. Uh, he actually was, uh, he took Austin's dad's job yep. at a church. And that's how Austin and I met. It's beautiful, very poetic. So great. Um, and then I, I sort of was aimless coming out of high school. I didn't, I, I was playing music at that point, but I, I um, didn't have much going on. And I met Derek um, and had no real interest in uh, getting involved with the campus ministry, but he just wrote me in and kept asking me to, to get coffee every week. Actually, the first time we hung out, he said, I'd like to, to see you more often or every once in a while. And I was like, that'd be great. And then at the end of it, he was like, cool, I'll see you next Thursday. And it kept going that way Amazing. over and over again for six years. Um, so uh, CCW was the first time I sort of worked in ministry and it totally, totally changed my life. Um, I, it was also the first time I'd ever spent time in sort of Methodist spaces. And that was completely different than the sort of Southern non-denom Baptist light world I, I grew up in. Um, and so, you know, again, worked for CCW for about six years, got married in the middle there somewhere. Um, and my wife, Karina, uh, had just graduated college and started doing youth ministry. And she was working at an Episcopal church, which again, very different experience from even the Methodist world and the church we grew up in. And she, she was loving it. Um, but we realized at some point that, oh, we need like sort, some sort of reboot to get our lives on, on the same uh, path a little bit. Cause we, we were branching a little bit and it was starting to get harder and harder to, to um, I don't want to say stay together, but to, to, to stay together well. Um, and so, you know, we had dreamed about moving at some point. And so we said, screw it, let's, let's move to Atlanta. And we, we moved here with absolutely sort of nothing planned or, or going on. Um, Karina had started, you know, feeling a call to ministry. And so she started exploring that and applied to uh, Candler School of Theology here in Atlanta and got accepted. And she just started two weeks ago, which is uh, crazy. Because uh, when we moved, it felt like, oh, that's like a lifetime away. You know, that felt like such a uh, far off thing. But she, she is now um, on the ordination path in the UMC to be a deaconess. Um, and she's doing seminary. And uh, I'm now working as a worship uh, director at Eastside Church, which is a, a UMC in East Atlanta. Um, we started attending Eastside, you know, not long after we, we moved here. I think actually the Christmas before we moved up, we were in Atlanta. Austin was, was with us. We were with my family and we, you know, were, had one more day in town. And we we're like, oh, it's a Sunday tomorrow. Let's just go to like a church in Atlanta, right? At this point, we hadn't announced that we were moving, but we, we sort of knew that was in the cards. Um, and so I think I, I Googled progressive United Methodist church and Eastside was the first one that, that popped up and we came and had a, had a great experience. And so when we moved, we were like, Oh, let's just try Eastside again. And we came again and sort of had every intention to try a bunch of churches in Atlanta. That was sort of the plan. And we just week after week kept coming back to Eastside and, and really found, um, home here. Um, 
I'll stop there because I'm sure we'll get into more of what's going on nowadays uh, with some of the questions. But uh, in Atlanta, loving it, doing COVID ministry is, is weird, but it's, it's all good. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I, I think it's so in, incredibly admirable uh, to like see y'all literally just pick up and like, okay, we're going to go. We want to be here. We don't know what the plan is, but let's see how it sorts out. And honestly, seeing it sort out for y'all and like work out in all these beautiful ways and getting plugged into these communities. Um, it definitely gives me a lot of like good perspective whenever mm. having those big dreams about moving somewhere, even if it's just for a little. But um, yeah. So um, with that, uh, I'd like to just kind of go into the discussion segment of all of this. And for those of you watching or listening, uh, I'd, I'd love for y'all to just uh, comment and interact. I'll be in the comments on the Facebook page if that's where you're viewing it. Um, and I'll try to answer anything I can there. But uh, yeah, so with your life kind of being so much in these different worship spaces with your dad moving around and doing different worship pastor positions, uh, what were some of the ways that you saw exclusivity in worship? Um, yeah, I think I'll just leave it there and, and see what you have to say. Yes. Um, I think I was fortunate. I had a hard childhood. And I don't mean to say that like, oh, like everyone had a hard childhood in one way or another, but it was, it was hard, but I, I'm grateful that, um, I got to see what that world was like very young because um, I didn't have to have the experience when I was older where I sort of had all these idols, um, you know, looking up to people, you know, in a very specific way and then being let down by them because um, I got to see what real humans um, living in the CCM world, living in the, in the Christian music world, what they were like, right? And it's just real humans. And you sort of see that the image is manufactured it's it's that's the mm -hmm. whole thing that um there, there is a a mold um so i'm grateful for that um my issue with and I, i'm trying to do this thing lately where i get very specific about and not, and not just uh imply but like be very explicit with my words so like the, my issue with American evangelical Christian worship culture, right, yeah. is um, it just doesn't look like the body, right? It doesn't look like the the kingdom. It's all, it's not all white. I don't want to say it's all white, but it's mostly white. It's um, mostly people who we would call conventionally attractive. It's mostly young people. It's mostly able people. Mm -hmm. um, it's mostly straight people. Um, and so that, that's, uh, that's already a, a bunch of different realms of, of exclusivity that we can, that we can talk about. Um, but it, it is unfortunately, and I, and I can uh, attest to this just from living it a little bit, but also um, it, I think everyone sees it. It's not unintentional. It's intentionally created that way to be, um, exclusive uh, in those ways. So, yeah. you know, we, we can talk about silly examples like, oh, you have to wear these certain clothes. Um, but it's also down to like, you know, I've been at dinner parties with worship leaders and everyone's drinking wine 
and they're like, oh, don't post that picture of me. I'm, you can see me holding wine, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, I know they drink, but they don't want their church to see them having a glass of It's like, and we're not talking about like partying hard. We're talking about like a dinner party, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's so interesting. Just this, this mold that you're talking about where it's like you press yourself into this, you preserve what that looks like even if what your actual life looks like is not even that, or it like what you're talking about with the dinner party stuff, they aren't getting crazy drunk and it's not like going and having drinks and getting a little drunk with friends is a terrible thing either, Mm -hmm. but like they're just so scared to break the mold because if they break Mm -hmm. that, then this, this culture, this Western whitewashed worship culture is just going to kind of disown them in a sense and be like, Oh, we can't, uh, you're kind of leaning that way. We don't want that. Yeah. I think there's a, that's a huge piece of it. Like feeling like ousted. Um, I also think, I think a lot of the reason that folks want to stay in the mold is that they don't have to do so much work for themselves then. Right. They don't have to Mm -hmm. think so hard about, they don't have to own and be responsible for their beliefs and for their life decisions. They can just mm-hmm. say, well, this is what the mold I was given. And so I'm just going to like do that thing. Right. Rather than um, uh, be responsible. That's, that's the word I want to use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you think that impacts um, their ability to do ministry? Like, and how did it impact your ability to like go into that space and do ministry? Yes. I think, unfortunately, I think there's a big gap that we experience. So, again, we're talking about white, American, evangelical Christianity. And I would love to, at some point, like, break that down a little bit and talk about the other expressions of worship in America and, and abroad, right? But that's, I think that's what we, when, when people say worship culture, that's what we generally are, are talking about, you know? Yeah. Um, I think there's a big gap in, I don't think most worship leaders that you see on YouTube or on the albums are doing ministry outside of being the faith, maybe writing the song sometimes, and then like being in the, they're more like movie stars than people that are getting their hands dirty. And I, and I, and I it sounds crude. Um, but the way that I view ministry, which is very, it's like being in a garden and you're working on something beautiful, but it's really dirty. And sometimes you hurt yourself and sometimes you, you know, get your jeans messed up. Um, I just don't think most of them are, are, are doing ministry in that way. You know, um, I, so d- just to speak to my background a little bit more, you know, I, so I grew up very like fundamentalist is the word for it, you know, like very conservative church. And then as I got a little bit older, I started getting into the more like non-denom, like quasi-charismatic world. And I, as sort of a, a musician, before I started getting into worship leading, but just as like a bass player, right? Um, I spent a lot of time in megachurch world, all the like the Jacksonville mega, you know, megachurches, I've spent time playing there. And so I got to see sort of that um, front and center. And the 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 culture was very much like I, it's just so funny i i'm you know i'm not going to talk explicitly about church names there are multiple churches where i've met the head pastor like six times right and it's like oh my God. About churches that i had been playing it for a yeah. year right and it's like man like you're not a you're 
certainly not my pastor, if you meet me six times, but like, are you a pastor in the traditional sense? If like, I can't get your phone number and like contact you. And, and that's and it's the same way with worship leaders, right? Like if someone can't like reach out to you and, and you're not accessible, like let's, let's have a new name for it. Then. You're, you know what I mean? Like you're the, you're the speaker then, or you're the, I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on that, man, that, that just opens up so many things. Uh, like the out of touchness of worship, worship leaders, pastors and stuff like that. Uh, I feel like that, that makes it really hard for people who are different than the usual, like we're talking about worship in the Western kind of American sense, like to, to try to get into that, to want to get connected, to go up and like have a phone call away. Just be like, Hey, I'd love to be on the team when it's so far up on the stage. And there's so much room between like the pews and the stage in a mm-hmm. sense in that, uh, that sense. But have you, I'm assuming a, a good amount of some of the churches were like that in a sense where it's just, it seemed like it was for community and it was community centric, but it was also far away. I, I feel this a lot. And I, I always hate when I go back to just talking shit about mega churches because it's not just there <laughs> and it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But like they're, they're just the put the pushers of the culture. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I walk into those spaces and even when I, I play at some of those spaces and I'm like, they, I, I can't interact at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's so far away. So I'm so disconnected from what's going on in this church body. If there's something going on in this church body, I have no clue. Um, yeah. Well, and it's interesting how you have this face of community, right? Mm-hmm. But then at their core, that isn't what actually is there and what's coming out maybe if they want mm. but it isn't there there's some sort of disconnect along the way mm-hmm. and like then there's this devoidness of authenticity right and one of the things troy whenever you were talking about like kind of a little bit of your philosophy on like worship leading in ministry was you seemed very interested in being an authentic worship minister and leader um i really always appreciated that about you when you were in ccw but I don't know. I feel like that's a lot of what we're talking about is that it's lacking in this American Western white cis Christianity mm-hmm. is authenticity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of goes outside of the, it's like that feeling when you're in a small group of people in a circle, which with like guitars and you're singing and you know each other and you're worshiping. Mm-hmm. is that it just the power in the voice like where three or more are gathered or two or more are gathered yeah. like there's that there but I, especially with the capitalistic nature of america mm. it's about selling an experience sometimes i feel yeah like, yeah that's that's good i i when sarah was talking i started thinking about the word hierarchy mm-hmm. and i think the problem fundamentally with a lot of these spaces, a lot of these ministries is there's a very clear hierarchy. And, you know, I know a a common critique of modern or contemporary worship or church music is, you know, the sort of 
um, what's called like emotionally manipulative, right? Like, like, you know, you're creating these experiences and stuff. And I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling emotion in a group of people. But the problem is when there's this top down thing and you are, cause you are being manipulated when it's like, you know, a group of five people and you see them on stage every Sunday and you don't know anything about them, you know, like you're not in like relationship with them. You're not connected with them. That is manipulation. Right. But it's like when you know mm -hmm. someone deeply and intimately and they can't like, I, and, I, and I think CW does such a good job of this. Like, you can't bullshit each other when you know each other, right? And so it's like, I'm not even gonna, like, if yeah. I'm not okay and I'm singing songs, I'm not gonna act like I'm okay because I'm like in deep connection with the people around me. And so I'm gonna bring my whole self to it. And then you're gonna genuinely respond from, from an authentic place, right? Not yeah. like pushing, just trying to hit the right buttons to get you to react a certain way, you know? Like when, when, I'm, when there's a coercion that's happening, that's an issue, mm -hmm. but, I think genuine worship is when it is an invitation and say, Here, here's me, I'm being vulnerable. I, I, I'm like, here, like, look at and see me. Now, now, like, it's an invitation to then be seen, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's what happens when you have church that is actually community versus church that is a product you are selling versus church that functions as a business, right? That feeds into consumeristic mm -hmm. nature. Like, whenever we recenter it on community, there is authenticity that happens. And there's also, I think, a reclaiming of certain things, right? Because you can worship more fully and connect to God more fully when you know the people who are speaking, because you know that when they're saying that, singing that Bethel song, that they don't mean it in the way that Bethel does. Mm. That they affirm people who are queer, if you are queer, that they are championing Black Lives Matter, right? Yeah. Whereas you're reclaiming that song, maybe, and we can talk about maybe should you use the Bethel song or not, but that opens up the door for so much connection and love and growth mm -hmm. and faith and community whenever you know the people and you're existing in a community rather than selling a product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On, I think on that, uh, you're talking about like Bethel's music. Um, what, do you recall a time where you kind of felt shame or guilt in worship music? Like, mm. it's, I mean, if you go to the hymns, that's a fun one. And you can just see oh, yeah. there's, there's so much just like, oh my God, I'm terrible. It's, it's a lot of the, and I get it, it's like different opinions and stuff, but it's a lot of the original goodness versus mm. like original sin in there. And it's just like soaked in a lot of shame and marinated there for a while. But do you yeah. recall like a time and it's okay if you don't, cause it, you can say more to it um, that you, you heard something in a worship song, a word or a phrase or something that is pointing or alluding to that. You're just like, that's, that's not my theology. That's, that's mm. not it. I, I really want to remember the song. I know it's a Hillsong song. And I remember sort of the time period of my life. This was sort of just pre-CCW. And I was, you know, playing in like the, you know, college group band as a bass player. But I wasn't, you know, I had not started doing ministry yet. Um, maybe it's on 
Okay, what's the album before Zion? Oh man, so the, the I, was, cover, I was just gonna say Zion. R- red cover, search my heart is on that album. If it comes to me, I'll, I'll say it. But there, yeah. there's, you know, it's a you know, fine song, beautiful lyrics, whatever. But there's, there's, I remember there being one line, you know, about, you know, it's sort of a typical like Jesus dying for me line or something. But it, it, it always struck me as very, um, um, when when you imagine it being said to you, like if you imagine Jesus looking you in the face and saying those those words, it's not like coming from this place of like, oh, like I, I, I did this for you because I love you, right? And even if it's a hard thing mm. to hear, did this for you because I love you, it's like, you made me do this. You know what I mean? Just uh, the difference there, yeah. like, like, oh, I, I, you made me go through this. And uh, I think that was the first time that I even sort of like had a reaction to, to lyrics and, and, and thought about them on any deeper level. And, and, and we, again, we can talk about like your personal theology when it comes mm-hmm. to penal substitution, right? But even even if you do believe in that, even that's like a thing, like I'm gonna die yeah. on that hill. Um, Aftermath, that's the album. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Yes, I yeah. have to find the song. I'll I'll let y'all know, know the song later. But um, even, again, even if that's the hill you're willing to die on, that just it seems sad to me that the words we want to put in in our in our church's mouth is like. Uh, um, starting from this place of shame and guilt, not like receive this free gift that's like given to you readily. It's like, look what you made Jesus do for you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's, to that, I think there's like an active purging we have to do in a sense to some of this music that is like mm-hmm. derived from shame and, and fear where it's like, I, I'm going to go to hell, but there's God. Mm-hmm but there's God and Jesus because I did something bad. And it's just like mm. that stuff. Like I get it. There are some beautiful hymns. There are some hymns that are really close to me that I hear. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so good. And then I'll be listening to it one time. and I'm just like, wow, that's really problematic. Like yeah. Jesus, <laughs> like I've been singing this and like, it gives me warm feelings and I feel mm. connected to God and to others. And I'm like, wow, this is exclusive. Um, yeah. Um, so, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Austin. No, you're good. Oh, so I I grew up in a really, like, evangelical, charismatic, you know, non-denom kind of environment. And um, I went to the Christian school that that church was a part of. And for a while, the pastor's wife was the principal. And so she would, like, give <laughs> the, like, talk at chapel because, you know, women can talk to people if they're under 18. Um, right. yeah, <laughs> I yeah. to talk to men if they're under 18 anyway and so she was actually talking this one time about how you know the lyrics we sing in worship music are important and she's like mm. it's important to consider the lyrics you're singing and like if you actually believe them and I don't know that's always stuck with me like mm. one of the things that I actually like think was good that was said to me in those spaces yeah. Because there are times where I'm singing, like, you know, you're singing in church and you hear it and you're like, oh, that line. No, I don't agree with that. I, I will stop singing the parts of the song I don't agree with because I'm like, I am not going to condone vocally, like, mm. you know, let your yes be yes or no be no. There's not this in between I'm going to do with the words I'm speaking into my faith life and to the life of other people. 
And I think it's yeah. really important to consider the lyrics of the songs. Yeah. And yes, sometimes they're like, you know, I don't think we need to like completely throw out some songs if they have one bad line, but maybe mm-hmm. rewrite that line <laughs> mm-hmm. or don't say it or call it out for what it is. Yeah, there, there's a sort of anecdote and I'm sure this is based on some research or something, but Derek says this a lot, that 75% of what we're experiencing at any given moment is subconscious, right? And I think that easily applies to, I think that applies to church. I think that applies to the way we, we can call it theology, the way we think about God. I think your average church tender, 75% of what they're experiencing is not I don't think you're, you're, you know, your standard 50 year old male or whatever spends a lot of time thinking about every line of the song. Right. Um, but that means it's even more important that people that are in the seat of making the decisions about their songs make good decisions then. Yeah. Right. Because especially if it's going to be this unconscious thing, because that means the messages you're, you're, you're handing them are then subconsciously, and I use an example of like an old band, which I think is, is interesting, but like, especially when we're talking about kids and stuff, like what they, what they, you know, put inside their, their body, right. The messages they're receiving, it shapes the way they view themselves, the way they view God. Um, and you can take that any direction. We could talk about the gendering of God in songs. We could talk about specific theology, you know, um, I think it is, is hugely, uh, important to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, whenever I think about any like Christian trauma in a sense that I've experienced, it's always like underlying mm-hmm. and like subconscious like that. Or, well, I mean, there's a few like extreme instances where it's like, whoa, that was terrible. But there's so much of it. And this is just in the deconstruction, reconstruction process, but that you have to just dig up and you're like, I didn't even know that was there. I didn't even know mm-hmm. I viewed myself like that. Um, and I'm, I'm finding yeah. that s- stuff out like on the daily. I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, I believe this because this form of Christianity and worship like told me this. Um, right. So w- with it being that sensitive and that uh, just like powerful of a thing, what type of measures have you been taking for your worship to be a space that's inclusive and safe? Um, and just all inviting. Yes. I, I'm going to pull up a document real quick. So I'm going to try and talk while I do that. Um, yep. I'm like looking in different directions. That's why. Um, so I, part of moving to Atlanta was, um, again, like I said, a, a, a big part of that for Karina and I was hitting a reset on our life, specifically our church life. And, um, you know, because at the at, at, at the time I was like, well, it just makes sense for you to come be a part of the, the UMC. And, and, and from Karina's part, it was like, well, it just makes sense for you to come be Episcopal with me. Right. Uh, Episcopalian with me. And um, so com- coming to Atlanta, I was of the mindset that like, oh, I'm going to take a break from ministry. Right. No, no matter how we slice this, I'm going to take some time off. Um, and I expected, I didn't know how long that was going to be, but I, I was like, oh, maybe it'll be three years or something right before I want to get serious about this again. And, you know, it was all of five months, right? Six months until I was like, after church one Sunday, and I, and I, didn't, I didn't serve at Eastside in any capacity for almost 
almost a year, you know, going on nine, nine, ten months. Um, and it was like after church one Sunday where I was like, oh man, like I really, this is the thing that's like missing in my soul is like getting to serve in this way. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So part of the best part of that experience for me was um, getting, getting out of the rhythm of like the daily grind of ministry and stuff. I, I got to really like reassess um, things like best practices. Right. Um, and even while I was at CCW, you know, we would have lots of conversations about, you know, the theology and the songs we're singing and, and yada, yada. But um, I wanted to take that to like the next level. And um, I think part of it is just seeing how um, it just intense the world feels right now. And I think it's interesting. I think a lot of these churches um are actually in the mainstream now. And I think that's an interesting dynamic, you know, like your average person that's not even like a church person knows like about Bethel church now. Right. And so Bethel has sort of an influence on sort of the the broader culture and, um, and it's, you know, it's important who we associate ourselves with. That's important. Right. Um, So when I, when I started serving again in worship ministry, and then especially when, you know, it looked like, oh, I was going to get this job in Eastside, you know, I, I started having lots of conversations with my, with myself and people I trust about, um, you know, what, what responsibility do, do we carry when we amplify the songs from churches and ministries that we want to, what are we going to call them problematic or harmful or, or just, we just don't agree with theology wise, you know? Um, and I think we can talk about the spectrum. We can, we can sit here and try and like plot things. Um, but I realized that, and I tried to spin it in a more um, positive, rather than, let me say it this way. What I realized was I was playing this game of like, oh, X on you, X on you, I'm against you. I'm not going to amplify your songs. And I realized like, man, I need to like have a better spin on this. And like, I, I want to spend time amplifying what I believe is good theology from good, like songwriters that are writing songs for the inclusive church. And, and so viewing it that way and not just like, oh, I'm not gonna play this mega church in this major church.